0: They have planned and are now leading us into a one-world communist government. Welcome, useless eaters, to the Odd Man Out podcast, where we talk about hidden history, depolitical policy, occult deconstruction, economics, religion, and philosophy. I'm your rabbit hole aficionado, the Odd Man. Welcome. The affirmative task we have now is is to actually um, uh, create
1: uh, uh, a new world order public policy could itself become the captive of a scientific, technological elite. And when that first cocaine was smuggled in on a ship, it may as well have been a deadly bacteria so much as it hurt the body, the soul of our country. But take my word for it, this scourge will stop.
0: Hello everyone, welcome to another Oddcast featuring me. You're Odd Man Out, and this week I'm very excited to have my guest, Courtney Turner from the Courtney Turner Podcast. We've kind of been going back and forth, and she's been very Mm -hmm. patient, so I'm so glad that we finally were able to hook up and do this show. And for those of you that are not familiar with her work, please introduce yourself and give them a little bit of your background.
1: All right, we'll do. Uh, so, yes, I'm the host of the Courtney Turner Podcast, and I spell it like Cortene, Uh so C-O-U-R-T-E-N-A-Y, Turner Podcast. And uh, I have two, actually now three other shows, actually. I'm doing a show with uh, uh, the T-Lab guys. Uh, so Scott uh, Armstrong from Rebunk News and Brian Christian from T-Lab. We're, it's called, uh, we're starting something called Pirate Stream Media, And we have a show called The Dialectical Dissidents. So we've been doing that. We've done five episodes. I think we're doing another one coming up this week. And I have a show called The Right Voices, which is a roundtable. I'm going to be launching that soon. We've done a couple of episodes, and so... And then I have a show called WIM, What is Movement, where we explore ways that movement helps people to heal emotionally, mentally, physically, and spiritually. And along with WIM, I do uh, speaking and aerial acrobatic performances. And I share my personal story, my birth story, and talk about ways that movement has helped me uh, to overcome adversity in other areas of my life and certainly overcome the physical challenges with which I was dealt from birth. So... Yeah, that's a little bit. I haven't been coming up, uh, March 11th. So we're, I will be wow. speaking with several bands and speakers and performers. So
0: Very cool. Yeah. You're, so you're not low energy at all. You're, you've got it going. I need some <laughs> of that energy. I can barely get one show out. So <laughs> it,
1: it, getting a show out is a lot. I do, uh, the Courtney Turner podcast is I release three times a week, but they're long form. So. You know, sometimes they they can be three hours. I've had a four and a half hour one, and uh, sometimes I'll show. I don't do live, although I'm looking to get into doing more lives. But right now, I pre-record, which means that there are some days where I will pre-record three in a day, and that's three, sometimes three hour in a day. It's a lot, yeah. Wow,
0: definitely. that is a lot. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I do a show sometimes on Thursdays, and it can run for maybe two and a, to two and a half hours. And so, um, yeah, it's, uh, it, and it's, it's sometimes not over till like one o'clock, one fifteen AM. So wow. yeah, it's tough cause you, yeah. know, you gotta be up early and all that stuff. But, uh, yeah, that's fantastic. I'm really glad to hear that. We need as much help as we can get fighting these evil <laughs> globalists and, you know, new world order types.
1: That's right. Exactly. Yeah. Well, we need all the people. See, I call uh So I, I got kicked off YouTube and I started up a new YouTube channel. And I always call my guests like part of the truth sleuth army. So I renamed my new YouTube channel is a. Uh, TC uh, TP, you know the Courtney Turner podcast initials. I didn't want to put my name, um, but although they they realize it's me, the algorithm as soon as you put my name in, they they found me. But right. I but I call it the uh, Courtney Turner podcast Truth Sleuths because that's what I feel like we need a big army of uh, people seeking truth.
0: Oh, for sure, absolutely.
1: Yeah. yeah.
0: And, uh, what got you into kind of like looking past you know the first couple layers of the onion, so to speak?
1: <laughs> so. I think my journey is a little bit different than I think a lot of people, a lot of people kind of woke up during the different waves. Uh, And I would like to say that I woke up with, you know, 9-11 or, um, you know, or even COVID right away. I mean, I was very aware that COVID was, you know, not what they were purporting it to be, Uh, but I wasn't quite aware of, uh, you know, I guess the, the. The paradigm shift, which I had then made later, you know, a lot of the, you know, illusions and the, uh, the narratives that, you know, had been, been put forth, the dialectical narratives on both sides. So I kind of felt, I started the podcast with kind of the mentality of like, we just got the right people in office. We could fix this whole thing, you know? And that was very much uh, where I was at when I began the podcast journey and uh, i began the podcast journey for those who have not heard the story i'm visually impaired i'm hearing impaired and i was living in santa monica california where it was incredibly uh, draconian with their measures and uh, people were very atomized and everybody was wearing a mask and the masks were really really challenging for me because i learned how to speak by reading lips i didn't actually get hearing aids i was almost six years old so I didn't realize how much I still depend on lip reading, even to this day, uh, for clarity of speech. So I may hear with my hearing aids, I may hear sound, but I don't necessarily have the clarity of speech without the nonverbal cues and the lip reading to assist. So that was incredibly challenging and really depressing for me because I just felt. Isolated, demoralized, and it just felt really dark. I mean, from really early on, before I started diving into anything, I kind of and I was not super, you know, spiritual or religious or and I I just kept telling people, I'm like, this feels demonic. Yeah. Like and which sounded strange for people to hear me say that, but I was like, I have no other words for it. Like this feels demonic. And yeah. it was just how I felt. I would step outside and it was a sea of math and so I'm also visually impaired, and I be, having monocular vision. I have about sixty percent of the peripheral vision as somebody who sees binocularly would have. So when I wear the mask, it further reduces my already limited peripheral vision, and that became really, really challenging for me. And I started developing chalazions in the eye that I see out of, which was really scary to me. My eye doctor wouldn't let me go without wearing a mask to go, you know, for my appointment. All this to say some people had suggested I start a podcast and while the idea was really terrifying, the one thing that came to mind was that having naked face conversations might save my life. Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I thought, you know, if I could just see someone's bare face and have a meaningful conversation and meaningful discourse, whether, you know, I didn't know where it was going to go at the time, but uh, I did think that that was going to be something that would you know, do a world of good for my morale. And mm-hmm. I initially wasn't even sure I'd record them. So I, I wasn't sure I'd release them. Like I was going to just record the conversations and, you know, for mostly for me, but that was kind of how it started. And then as you start talking to people and I started diving into a lot of my own research and, you know, I had some people who were pretty instrumental in uh, waking me up as they say. And I started to realize hmm, a lot of this is a, uh, kind of one big lie and I, have definitely fallen for some of them. So, (laughs) yeah,
0: that's fantastic. I mean, obviously not about the negatives, but overcoming (laughs) that and in starting and making something positive out of all of it. And then you've got all this awesome stuff going on. So, I mean, wow, it's, it's really inspiring because like I said, I mean, I, I, I have a hard time getting one show out and I get all caught up in one, you know, one, subject and then I kind of lose myself in it and you know and I feel like well it's Mm -hmm. not ready I don't have enough information when I probably do and so you know but that's fantastic um and it's it's so cool to be able to I mean one of the things I because I'm a recluse and I I'm not a big social person I'm a little more social now that I've gotten old and tired and just (laughs) I don't care what anybody (laughs) thinks I actually like to get out a little more now but um but you know, I'm not really one to happens. reach
1: it. Yeah, yeah.
0: <laughs> but uh, the one of the cool things that I've kind of come across with doing this podcast now, I guess like three years now, is uh, just how cool people are. You know, and when you mm. actually have conversations, people who want to actually have conversations, and yeah, you have a lot more in common usually than you don't, and um, totally. you can learn from each other. So, and I love to learn. So uh, that's been mm-hmm. one of the biggest blessings about doing this.
1: Oh yeah. I, I feel like I had no idea how much I didn't know. <laughs> so, yeah. And I, that's yeah. what I'm always amazed by. It's like I start to scratch the surface with something and I, it's like this giant rabbit hole and there's so many rabbit holes and I'm always just amazed. You know, it's like Socrates said, he who knows, knows, he knows nothing. And I feel that every day. <laughs> so, Absolutely.
0: I was going to say that quote. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you, yeah, it's like no matter how much you learn, there's so much more. And then you think, you know, sometimes you get a little arrogant because you like, learn some new stuff. You feel like nobody else knows. And then you see somebody else later on who's just like almost like an expert. Like Alex Newman, that guy knows so much. It just, it's mind-blowing. Oh uh, you know, there's some a few, a few guys a like that.
1: Knowledge.
0: Yeah, and it's it's just, and, and then you kind of like, you feel a little bit humbled. But then also it gives you, or it gives, you know, kind of me, more inspiration to, to be like, well, maybe I can become that knowledgeable about a certain subject. You know, so
1: what's interesting that you say that because I always feel like that's like my problem because I'm never, you know, from a marketing perspective, you know, they yeah. always teach you should learn one thing and learn it really well. And that's just, it's so not me. People are like, yeah. what is your podcast about? And I, I think it's kind of everything. I mean, we cover a really, really wide range of topics. If I had to, pinpoint a central theme, I would say taking ownership of free will, because I think that's kind of the crux of the battle, the spiritual battle we're up against. But it's everything from politics to geopolitics, philosophy, psychology, sociocultural zeitgeist to medicine, health, fitness, finance. I I mean it's really there's I don't know if there's a topic yet that we've really left, you know, untouched. So
0: well, you know, the, uh, the bumper sticker, everything's connected. It really yeah. is. I mean, yeah. when you start looking into things, so many things are connected or people are connected or organizations are connected. And yeah. it's kind of like a never ending learning process, which at one, you know, on, on one hand, it kind of seems daunting. But on the other is very exciting, too, because mm-hmm. it's like there's always so I mean, I still find subjects I know nothing about. And it just blows right. my mind.
1: So true. So true. Yeah. And they, and the the dots do start to connect. You start to realize that things aren't really quite as unrelated as they may seem.
0: Yeah. I've just now like probably in the last few weeks started to feel like I'm starting to put a few more dots together Oh, just by looking at some of the, like the the Templars. That's one of the subjects I never looked into very much Mm -hmm. and um, you know, just kind of like, yeah, and in the banking and how that even relates to today. And, you know, I, I looked last year at uh, the Skull and Bones Society and the Fabian Society and um, the Bavarian Illuminati and stuff like yeah. that because I'd heard, you know, from cons- other conspiracy authors mm-hmm. and podcasters little bits and pieces about a lot of this stuff, but I'd never, mm-hmm. I'd always felt like there's so much more to know and uh, I felt like a lot of those guys were just like going surface level on some of this stuff. So yeah. I wanted to start really doing these deeper dives on it. And I'm not the greatest at it by, by any stretch of the imagination, but it's really helped me to uh, learn. And I feel like I'm starting to see more patterns in history that lead right up to today. You know, today. So
1: right.
0: I'm kind of excited for this year to learn more and hopefully piece more stuff you know together.
1: Yeah, uh, the Illuminati is definitely, and the, the Masons, are, are definitely skull and bones, dude, like the secret society is definitely something that I've kind of done a little bit of, A, I mean, I mean, I can't say it's a deep dive because there's, there's so much and it's, a, uh, it's pretty expansive, but it's definitely a topic that I've, I've covered quite a bit. Oh, cool. So, cool. Awesome. Yeah. And when people tell me that the Illuminati isn't real, like, uh, <laughs> it <laughs> definitely was real. And people like to say, well, it ended, but I think it really, it ended only in name. Mm-hmm. You know, so a lot of these things, they then go underground, so, and they have offshoots. And mm-hmm. even if that official organization or entity no longer exists, there's still uh, people executing their visions And that's kind of the result is pretty similar. So yeah, yeah. I don't think it really matters whether the name, the Illuminati exists anymore. That's kind of irrelevant. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I mean, the Illuminati is not those people who send you the emails like you want to earn $200,000 and it's not Jay-Z and Beyonce. I mean, they might, they may be, they may belong to certain clubs or societies maybe, but I think it's, It's an ideology. You know, a lot of these things Mm -hmm. I think are, you know, like the Illuminati, Fabian Society. um, Their ideology is more than anything, and you can't kill an ideology, so.
1: No, I think the Fabians used a lot of the secret societies to carry out their plans. The Fabian socialists definitely subscribe to an ideology and a worldview. Uh, The Illuminati itself, I think, was really a very organized kind of, I mean, it was, Small, and relatively, mm-hmm. but yeah. But I think they used uh, entities like, uh, you know, the Masons and other kind of organizations, other secret societies to carry out their plans because it's easier to do through secrecy and blackmail than it is yeah. out in the open. Yeah.
0: Yeah, and why not pick, uh, you know, these alri- already established organizations to build off of. And the Masons, is, it's such a perfect... You know, perfect, the way it's organized and the secrecy and the levels and the hidden, the parts that are hidden from even, you know, the mid-level people. Oh yeah, It's perfect for spying. It's perfect for governments. It's perfect for so many things, uh, secrecy in business, uh, building yourself up within a framework of, say, a business or the government or any other organization. It seems like it's just perfect for that. And yeah. uh, so many other groups have kind of piggybacked off that.
1: Totally. Yeah. Including the Illuminati uh, infiltrated from within to, to utilize the structure of the Masons.
0: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And it feels like to me, like, you know, when I looked into the Fabian society, I, I looked into them first, actually, I should have went for the Illuminati first, but um, it really, well,
1: they're pretty important. Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
0: Yeah. And I think they're, the, their philosophy I think is permeated more than we'll ever know. You know, even though people, most people don't even know who they are. Like they're, like we said, their I- ideas, I think like with their uh, slowly kind of infiltrating groups, I, the, I feel like. And the
1: incrementalism, mm-hmm, incrementalism. Yeah. That was the Fabian Fabian um, motto. They, uh, they, they became the wolf in sheep's clothing, but they were initially the tortoise.
0: Mm-hmm, that's right. Because they were, yeah. 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 It's in the, um, I, I found out. It's been a while since I went over that, but so there's this place right outside the United Nations. It's mm-hmm. a little town or a little uh, community rather, and it's like an exclusive community that a bunch of Fabians moved over to before mm-hmm. the United Nations was even established. And there's a turtle on the on the gate of oh, this wow. community. And so it's pretty interesting because the Fabians, you you may know this, but like some of the people probably aren't aren't familiar with it, but they started the London School of Economics and David Mm -hmm. Rockefeller went to that school. So did George Soros and a bunch of other people. But, uh, you know, of course the Rockefellers gave the the land for the United Nations. All these things are connected, you know, it's, it's really crazy. And I'm reading this um, Milner, Fabian conspiracy book.
1: I have not read it yet. That is on my list. It's yeah. good.
0: It's really good. Is
1: it? Yeah. So they talk about the, uh, the round table groups and the roots uh, scholarship and right. Is that, I'm yeah, guessing that's Yeah. And too. they,
0: you know, like I knew, th- cause just looking at the CFR, cause that was one of the first things I started looking into. Yeah. You know, and I, and I realized when I started looking into the Fabians, I'm seeing some of the same people here or people talking <laughs> about being in other groups with these, these uh, CFR people and Fabian people. And I was like, wait a minute, you know, and I kind of pieced that together in one of my shows, but not nearly like this book. I mean, there's, it's so detailed and I'm, I'm like, how could I not realize that they were basically working hand in hand together, but you know, they were very secretive about it.
1: Yeah. Yeah, they were. That, absolutely. And,
0: and, you know, people think that, uh, you know, you see, you hear socialism and then you people, most, most people equate, the Rhodes Roundtable and anything that's, you know, has to do with Cecil Rhodes kind of equate that with, I guess, in a way with capitalism because he was so rich, diamond miner and all Mm -hmm. that stuff. And so many very wealthy people have been Rhodes scholars and stuff. But I mean, they were oddly enough, they they lean socialists. So, you know, you wouldn't think that the two would go together, but they do.
1: Well, I mean, they were, they in terms of policy, they lean mm. socialist, right? They, yeah, yeah. they themselves were very much uh, capitalists. I mean, they're, they, capitalism is for profit. So yeah, they, they were yeah. definitely all for profit for them. And they wanted the masses to be under a socialist kind of uh, policies that would benefit them. Really, Absolutely. they wanted Really, they want like a feudal system, no no different really than today, except now they want it to be under technocratic rule.
0: Right. Yeah. And speaking of that, I mean, I think that, uh, you know, the authoritarianism is almost baked into the cake of technology. Don't you think? Because just the way it's, there's so few people understand it. Like I'm not great with technology. I used, I was about five years ago and then it just passed me out, but, um, you know, um, I was
1: as a kid, and then, yeah, yeah I agree. At some point, it's, I was like, this is jumping so fast. It's not worth keeping up.
0: No, no. Yeah. And you can imagine with, like, our idiot politicians how all these technocrats have been able to just, you know, even the good politicians, they didn't understand technology and still don't for the most part. And so I think that that's given the technocrats a one-up over policy and how to control things. And, um, you know, I think that it's just, you know, like, uh, I think it was Brzezinski. He talked a lot about how there would be a future of, uh, 24 hour surveillance on the people and you would know what they, well, I think even says something like you would know what television they watched the night before and Mm -hmm. what they had for dinner. I I, I think it was Brzezinski, but. Yeah.
1: And here we are.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Unbelievable.
1: (laughs) I I do think that the one silver lining though, is that I think the technocrats underestimate or overestimate the capacity right now. They're doing all this data mining and harvesting and they're counting on AI to be able to sort through all of it and apply it. And I think it's kind of too overwhelming even for the AI. I don't know that they're really going to know what to do with it. So that's kind of a silver lining, I think. Yeah. I,
0: know. I hope, I hope you're right. Yeah. I mean, they, you know, it's, they can't meme for shit. That's for sure. <laughs> well, the left in general, but they, you know, AI can't, can't seem to figure out certain things about humor and um, stuff like that. So that's, that's good in a way.
1: In a way. Yeah. A way, and, yeah. And
0: the more we can keep them from understanding, I think the better. Um, and, you know, it's like the, the, the downside to, like trying to turn people on to the dangers of technology is it's so fun, you know, and, and so um, it makes things so much easier and they, they have no, you know, like younger people, I try to talk to them a little bit about, uh, you know, security and giving your information out online and just letting your mind kind of be controlled by being on, in front of the screen all the time and they don't get it oh, at no. all.
1: <laughs> no, no, I can imagine. Cause they grew up with it. They don't really know any different. So they're already so programmed. Yeah. I think that, that, that is really challenging. People have been just the way the television program people now, uh, the technology is programming. So mm-hmm. it's really hard to break free from that. If you've been, if you're already brainwashed, you know?
0: Yeah, absolutely. But
1: you're already indoctrinated. Yeah.
0: Yeah. It's, um, yeah, it's it's really scary to to even look back from the time I was a kid up until now at the all the different programming and movies. Even some of the, the movies, you know, like from the 80s that you wouldn't even have thought had messaging. You go back and watch now and you're like, oh, wow, I can't believe I missed that. So it's been going on probably since... I assume since TV, television and movies were created, I mean, you know. Cause, Long before.
1: Yeah. I, so are talking about the Fabians, right? They did it through literature. I was really, really, really depressed to learn that like roger kipling was uh, a fabian and uh, they he was also uh under tavistock and tavistock oversaw a lot of the they kind of merged the fabians and the frankfurt school and uh you know they were the fathers the kind of the father of propaganda ever Bernays was one of the uh forerunners tavistock institute before it was named tavistock but yeah i feel like they're uh they use literature really early on and even, you know, the ancient Greeks would use theater. So Mm -hmm. it's been, you know, they've been socially engineering through entertainment since uh, probably the beginning of time, you know? Uh, But yeah, certainly once the television and film it's, I, I think that ramped it up quite a bit.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Now it's like so you know, more people are becoming hip to it, but I don't, even though they're becoming hip to it, I think a lot of people almost see it as, kind of entertainment itself in picking out the symbology and in, in some of the hidden stuff you know I don't think they quite grasp the danger mm-hmm. uh, you know what I mean if that makes sense um but yeah like you you were saying about the uh the Greeks and the uh, I, I know I was reading a little bit from Francis Bacon a couple of months mm-hmm. ago and he was talking mm-hmm. about and he and you know to give him credit he was talking about how um the theater could be a good thing or a bad thing. It could be very Mm -hmm. educational or it could be, uh, you know, it could go the other way. And so I'm sure that they've been indoctrinating us, you know, anything that they can use to go out to a mass amount of people, they're going to put some sort of indoctrination and hidden meanings behind it.
1: Totally. Well, I mean, I think through entertainment mediums are uh, their stories. And so Narratives are very powerful. It's a powerful way to shape opinion and uh, um, ultimately action as a result. So it's very different than giving somebody a a litany of facts. You know, if if something is uh, narrative driven, then people are emotionally charged and they have a visceral response, whether it's conscious or not. And therefore, they're more likely to be impacted by that. Whereas if something impacts you cerebrally, uh, intellectually, not to say that that can't have an impact, but you can you can resist something, you can reason your way out of something that is a logical argument, whereas, right, your your mind can play tricks on you. But if you have an emotional response to something, it's so subconscious and so guttural that oftentimes we're not even aware, let alone... Uh, have the the wherewithal to be able to rebut it.
0: Yeah, that's absolutely true. I'm kind of, uh, especially since I've been doing all this research <laughs> and stuff, I feel like I'm kind of emotionless because I think, I, like, <laughs> you read so much dark stuff and you get so disappointed because you find these heroes and then you realize, nope, <laughs> they weren't heroes after all. And so I think, you know, and I don't watch much TV or movies, but uh, during the mm-hmm. Christmas break, I, I've been watching a little bit more and I find myself feeling very, uh, and maybe because I'm getting older, but there's certain times where I feel like in sad parts, I feel very emotional. And um, I feel like, you know, wow, if, if this is hitting me and I usually don't, I usually feel like I'm not very affected by this stuff. I can see why mm-hmm. so much of this programming really, really affects people. And people are absolutely insane now about pop culture. As I'm sure you've rec- you know recognized, it's, it's, a, it's, kind of like a religion now.
1: Pop culture?
0: Yeah, you know, like movies oh. and, and Disneyland. And, and
1: I feel like it always was. I'm so out of the loop now. Like, yeah. I feel like I've kind of removed myself. Uh, I, I was an actress and a producer, so i was very much in that world, and I've really, like, stepped out of that. But especially now that I know what I know, it's kind of hard for me to just, like, idly watch mm-hmm. things. But, yeah, I think... I don't know. I don't feel like it's more that people are more entrenched in it than previously. That might just be, I think it's just coming more. Uh, we have social media. So I think it's, there's an added element and yeah. we're kind of bombarded from different angles.
0: Yeah. And I, I- I see what you mean. I think I'm thinking in the way of like people, you know, with like memorabilia and people again um, tattoos of movies and characters. And <laughs> I mean, it's, it's almost like I heard somebody say, I can't remember exactly how they said it, but I'll paraphrase basically that a lot of people, you know, we're talking a couple of generations at least now have gotten most of their culture from pop culture. Mm-hmm. You know, they don't go out like, we used to, we're in front of screens all the time. We don't go out quite and live the way we lived and have these life experiences, some good, some bad, quite the way mm-hmm. we used to. And so they're getting a lot of their culture from this manufactured culture. You know what I mean?
1: Well, I mean, I think that happened with television, film, and books and theater previously. Yeah. Yeah, yeah
0: that's true. Yeah. Yeah, because yeah. a lot of this other stuff was very influential, you know, before. You know, technology got so far along. I mean, even books, plays, oh yeah, radio, all that stuff.
1: I think the big difference now is that it's a, uh, it's even more passive. Whereas, you know, when you're reading, you're you're still very much actively engaged. I think even theater versus film. You know, when you're at a theater watching a play, uh, there is more of a. Interactive kind of a process uh, than there is when you're sitting in a movie theater, like kind of having almost it almost feels like it's coming at you, right? Mm-hmm. It's a very different kind of an engagement process, I think. You know, but certainly reading is very different. So I think now with everything being, people don't even go to the movies mostly anymore. It's in their homes, and it's uh, it's in your living room and social media is all everywhere and they're listening to you all the time and then feeding you based on algorithms. So you're kind of constantly in the little echo chamber and you're isolated much more. So mm-hmm. I think that's the biggest, but t- I think that television kind of started a lot of that because yeah. television can be very mind numbing and uh, isolating in that regard.
0: Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And, and there's, there's something about,
1: would be a better word, but yeah.
0: And there's something about, and I don't know if this is the way televisions work still, but, um, you know, the, uh, flicker of the television just flickers at a certain rate that does something to your, uh, it's been so long since I looked into it, but, uh, yeah. And I, yeah, I
1: pro- programmed you yeah. definitely in form of uh, mind control. Absolutely.
0: Yeah. And I was talking to somebody a while back, I'd read this article about the, the television tube, which I, I'm sure they no longer have, or it's changed, but the guy that invented the tube, according to the article I read anyway, uh, invented it not to make a television because he didn't know anything about that. He invented it to try and communicate with other worlds. And somehow they found out when they were trying to come up with, come up with the television that boom, this works with what we need. Uh, you know, so I thought, Hmm. wow, that's kind of strange, but kind of fits together at the same time, you know?
1: Yeah. Interesting. I don't think I knew that. That's yeah. Very interesting. Interesting. It kind of does make sense.
0: <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'd have to, you know, fact check that. It's been a while since I read it, but uh, I remember thinking that it was a credible website if there is such a thing nowadays.
1: <laughs> I understand. Yes, yes, it's definitely tough to say.
0: Yeah, a lot of people ask me like, uh, "Where do you get your news?" But uh, mm. I'm gonna, I want to start asking my guests the same thing because I think it's. Uh, it, so many people have asked me that over the over the last few years is there are there certain websites that you go to or uh more some you trust more than others
1: i you know i wish i had like a source that i frequent often i really don't sadly i actually really do get a lot of my news from uh info wars i would say if i had to pick like one Mm -hmm. I, i really do go to info wars a lot um but if I, I, it's really social media. Like I'll go to Twitter and see what people are talking about, right? Yeah, yeah. And uh, you, you open up Instagram, and people are talking about things. And yeah, I go to the world. I do, but a lot of what I do is research. So mm. I'm typically not. I'm not as engaged in the day to day news. You know, certainly I can't avoid it. It seems like you're just, it's in your face constantly, Mm -hmm. especially I think in our milieu, you know, it's really hard to avoid it. But that's not really my, uh, I don't tend to seek that out as much. I'm usually immersed in some sort of a a research project. So I'm looking for things that are more historical, but a lot of times they're, they're related, you know? So Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. So
0: that's basically what I do too. I mean, these days it's like, um, I'll look at sometimes if there's a certain subject, you know, especially if it's like something I've never heard of, I'll look it up. And, and if there's a, you know, a site that I think's halfway credible, I'll, I'll read a little bit in there and then I'll find, I'll try to find another site that maybe is coming from the other political side and see what they mm-hmm. have to say. And one of the things I try to tell people instead of, I, I think this is just me, instead of maybe picking a, a certain few websites to, say these, these are the ones I trust. Study, like you were talking about, about Bernays study propaganda. That's a quick <laughs> book. You can read that book in a, a day, a day and a half or whatever, uh, study propaganda and the techniques of propaganda. Get that one. And, um, the one, I think it's a Jockey Lules. He's got another a book called propaganda mm-hmm. as well.
1: Yep, he does. I have it somewhere here. Yeah. yeah. I
0: and mean, there's so there's a bunch of good ones. Uh, you know, mm-hmm. read a little bit about psychological warfare. Yeah. Uh, then you'll understand when you're reading something, maybe not every single piece, but you'll understand when you're being fed propaganda. So you won't have to worry about which site you, you go on, you know?
1: I think I'm going to do a, um, like a series. Uh, and my friend Miriam had said that she might do it with me, um, but on Tavistock. Oh, cool. I think that'll, yeah, to kind of do a deep dive on that to help people see the origins of propaganda, although Willie Munzenberg would be a good one as well to oh. dive into. He
0: yeah. was, uh, was he a Frankfurt guy? Is that right? Or yeah. No? Okay. I'll say I,
1: I mean, sort of he, he and, uh, Lenin and Antonio Gramsci, and I think George Lucas, Georgie Lucas was there as well, okay. had a meeting in 1921, uh, no, 1922, uh, and that was right after the Bolshevik revolution, Lenin was concerned why it wasn't like spreading throughout the West. And it was Antonio Gramsci who said, because you know, you're treating this like an economic uh, problem and it has to be cultural hegemony, but, wow. but yeah, but Willie Munzenberg was at that meeting as well. And he had a big like media company okay. at, You at know, the time. Yeah.
0: I I need to look further into him because I've only—I looked into the Frankfurt School like a year ago. I was going to do a show about them, but I I got. Sometimes I get sidetracked easily because I find something else, you know, and I'm like, kind of like a, you know, a deer in the headlights. Uh,
1: uh, Sorry, go on. Yeah.
0: No, I was just going to say, but uh, I knew that he was pretty big on, like, he was supposed to be kind of like a Bernays type as far as his ideas on propaganda.
1: Yeah, I, I feel like uh, he might actually be rightfully kind of one of the fathers of uh, propaganda. Although you never really hear about him, you hear about Bernays. Yeah. But I definitely think he he could he could be a competitor for the for the title as well. But the Frankfurt School, I did a deep dive on the Frankfurt School uh, around like maybe two thousand eleven. Oh, cool! Wow. And yeah, it was during Obama because uh, he kept talking about Sawalinsky. And so I started looking into rules for radicals and yeah, so that was kind of my, I did a deep dive then. And I haven't done, I've I've done a couple of shows as a guest where people have asked me to dive into the Frankfurt School. So I've brushed up on it a little bit, but I'm definitely not as versed as I was, you know, when I was really immersed in that, but there, sorry. uh,
0: No, go ahead, please.
1: Well, I was just going to say that that was a paradigm shift then too, because I, I think I always used to say, you know, as a fiscally conservative and socially liberal, because it was just, it was more palatable Mm -hmm. for most people, you know, it was a more tenable stance to take, especially in the entertainment industry and uh, where it was kind of taboo to have any conservative views at all. Uh, And, you know, being where I was in Santa Monica, but I, and I was in the fitness industry for a while too, and he, that was actually quite liberal too. So it was, you know, that was like my line. But once I studied, started diving into the Frankfurt School, I realized that, you know, you can't really extricate one from the other, mm-hmm. and that was a huge shift for me. Also, to realize that they're so incredibly intertwined, they're inexorable. Yeah.
0: Yeah, it's. Um, I agree. I, I went through a pretty hardcore libertarian phase, I guess you'd say, almost anarchist, right-leaning anarchist, you know, um, right. <laughs> because I was very conservative after 9-11, and mm. uh, it was funny because I was in a heavy metal band at the time for okay. about 10 years, uh, and uh, so I was the only conservative person I knew, basically.
1: <laughs> right, yeah, <laughs> um, I get
0: it. People just did not understand, my bandmates, nobody. But uh, I kind of after, you know, I kept paying attention to the conservatives, and I, I was like, these guys are not what they say they are. They, they they drop the ball every time. They talk a good game. And so that kind of led me into libertarianism, especially I was looking into more of uh, some of the awful things the government had done over the years, you know, so it kind of led me towards that. But, yeah, the last couple, well, probably the last four years, I've really started mm-hmm. to move back towards a conservative attitude because – like you said, you can't hardly separate the two. And, uh, you know, the more we move towards a Crowley kind of attitude in society, I mean, people are going crazy and they, they're confused. And, uh, this, uh, you know, do be anything you want, do anything you want. Um, it's, it's not all it's cracked up to be. You can't really, I don't think you can maintain a healthy society like that for very long.
1: I I concur for sure. I, I think a lot of my, uh, Views are probably more conservative, but I, I've, that's been a paradigm shift for me as well is realizing that we're, I, you know, I, as I said, I started off the podcast with like the we'll just get the right people in office and we can turn this whole thing around. And, uh, you know, I always point to tragedy and hope Carol Quigley said that, you know, our, the CFR has pretty much chosen our uh, federal elections for the past century. Uh, if not more certainly, cause it was, about a century from when he was writing it. So, and as I started, you know, doing the podcast, I started to say, I really feel like the Republican party is designed to be controlled opposition for the left. Mm -hmm. And I, I feel very strongly about that now. Now I'm pretty convinced you know, I started off kind of joking when I would say that. And uh, then it started to be, I I started to really believe that that's actually true. And so when I say, I don't, So while I may hold a lot of conservative principles, I don't necessarily subscribe to, uh, you know, the dialectical illusion that they put forth.
0: Right. Exactly. Same here. And, you know, there's certain things about conservatism, like the, the, the hard thing for me is, you know, so where do you allow the government, what part parts do you allow the government to control? Because we can't, you know, obviously we can't depend on most of these politicians, And Mm -hmm. then that goes back into getting the right people in charge, you know what I mean? So it's like, it's such a hard thing to know how to feel, what you should support as far as politics goes. I mean, in in the mainstream, you know, there's hardly anyone that I could point to to say, oh, I kind of trust that person.
1: Right. So politics, I just think, is so incredibly corrupt. And I think the higher up you go, you know, the more top-down, the the federal, the, right, the, the bigger the domain that they have, the more corrupt they are and the less chance that you have of having somebody who has any real integrity or principles or even if they do, who will uphold them, you right. know, who isn't going to be, who isn't going to succumb to blackmail or bribery or uh, grifting or whatever it may be.
0: Yeah, yeah, there's yeah. no way to. I was telling my daughter today, I was like, you understand we were talking like politics and just kind of like how crazy people are nowadays. And I said, you know, that our representatives can be dual citizens and they don't even have to reveal that to their constituents. And, you know, I didn't know that until a couple of years ago. And then I'd read uh, Mm -hmm. one of Peter Schweitzer's books, I guess, maybe two, three years ago. And he was explaining Mm how our representatives, they can't take gifts in jobs and different things like that from like foreign entities, but their brothers and sisters, their parents and their children can. Right. And they don't have to even reveal that stuff. So it's like, right. it's kind of hopeless. And then, you know, I said and two, you know, I was telling her, I was like, well, you look at uh, Rand Paul and people like that who actually admit, Hey, we don't read these bills, these huge bills. We don't read them.
1: Of course they don't read them. They're written so far in advance. Yeah. And they're thousands of pages long. And then they're shoved in front of their face like 24 hours before. I'm sorry. Yeah. You think that these people read thousands of pages in 24 hours? I, I mean, I there may be a few, you know, like off the church geniuses who are capable of doing that. I, I guarantee they're not, you know holding the all members, all the seats of Congress. So it's, uh, yeah, not every single one of them is able to do that. I, I think very few are. So, yeah, that's uh, it's just not realistic. They write these things so far in advance and you know, they do because of what they sneak into it. Yeah. yeah. Like this was, I mean, this has nothing to do with what the title of the bill is. Mm hmm. You know, like the infrastructure bill, the defense bill, the omnibus bill, all of these things that are in these bills have nothing to do with what you think you're signing or paying for.
0: Right. Yeah. And it's, you're right. It's, it's so obvious that they write these way in advance and our politicians don't write them. So who writes them? You know,
1: that's the question, right? I, I think probably the, the art, probably the oligarchs, but
0: yeah, Who know. Yeah. And uh, yeah, so we really don't have any representation, you know. If you look at it in that sense, I mean, or very little, maybe on the more on the local and state level local. a little bit. But yeah, I mean, as far as national, I, I
1: always say that I do think people should engage locally. I think that is the one place, if there is any power to effectuate any change or any hope, I think it it probably is locally, and people mm-hmm. should really get engaged locally if there is any hope.
0: Yeah, so. I think so too. It, And it's like, um, it seems like to me that people, um, they're so quick to take any of these politicians, like all, you know, kind of assume that they're their best friends and they're on their side because they'll say a few things that they like. And it's time and time again, you start looking at following the money and you follow the links, you know, the organizations, these politicians belong to. And, Mm -hmm. you know, they all lead to the same places pretty much. And it's you know, at least at the local level, you can, you might even be able to see these per- people face to face and they do not want that. They do not.
1: Right. Then you would hold them accountable. Right. So yeah. they'd have at least some sort of a, uh, if not uh actual accountability there, there's at least the potential for it. And yeah. there's the, uh, there's, there's a shame factor and shame can be powerful. You know, it, it can be, it can be used for good or, or not. <laughs> so
0: Yeah, yeah, but, and we yeah. need we need to bring it back, you know. Bring yeah, back a we little do. shame anyway.
1: Uh, exactly. Yeah,
0: it's you know, you see like at these school board meetings that we've kind of witnessed over the last couple of years and, you know, those yeah. people do not want to be held accountable. They are the audacity of these parents to actually complain. Like I can't believe it you know and it's like we've let yeah. things get that far out of hand like
1: it's who, they're like who are you yeah that's very interesting so i interviewed Loy brunson are, are you familiar with the brunson brother case
0: Mm-mm,
1: that no. they're bringing to the so they they're bringing this case to the supreme court and it's actually uh docketed to go to conference on january 6th and that's oh, what wow. it's about so it's about the refusal to do the 10 day investigation. So it's not about the outcome of the 2020 election. It's about the fact that they had hundred witnesses and 385 members of Congress, uh, voted not to investigate. And so that's what this, this case is, uh, over. So, but it is docketed to go to, uh, to a conference on, uh, January 6th. And yeah, so in the reason I thought of it was because in there, there's part of the reason why uh, they have refused all of these is because they, they gave themselves immunity. I think it was like code 28. I I might got, I may have the number wrong. I think if my memory serves me, it was 28, but yeah. So there's like a code basically saying that they have immunity from any kinds of uh, accountability. So they can basically just do whatever they want. But because this is, uh, it's it's declared a national emergency. And so therefore they're not granted immunity because, you know, it's a threat of uh, essentially uh, it would be like an act of war. Mm, so, gotcha. because, you know, interference, domestic or foreign. So, so the, but the, the court case is essentially saying that they committed tre- treason because they didn't uphold their oath to the constitution oh, okay. by, because there were a hundred witnesses saying that, uh, there was uh, evidence of why they should do a 10 day investigation. They didn't, they refused to do it. So, Well, yeah.
0: that'll be interesting to see how that plays out.
1: It will be. I mean, I'd like to be super hopeful, but regardless, I think it's great that these citizens, you know, they're not lawyers. They on their own brought this case forth and it really, they're exercising their uh, constitutional rights, which most people are not even familiar with. You know, in the Constitution, the First Amendment is to petition for redress of grievances. And most people don't even know that. You know, you think it's free speech, mm-hmm. which is part of it, but it yeah. is also a petition to redress for grievances. And that's what they're doing. So I think that that's just fantastic that if nothing else, they're bringing awareness to. Uh, the duty and power of citizens and what our constitutional rights are.
0: Yeah, it's, you know, and I think that is great too, but you know, I told you, I went through that libertarian phase and you know, like in the anarchist kind of upper, you know, like the certain level of libertarian, they're like, you know, the the constitution was never good anyway. So who cares? Mm -hmm. Um, But, you know, I I did a show last week on the convention of states, which is a thing that Mm -hmm. I had supported for quite a while, but I didn't know much about it. I thought it sounded like a good way.
1: Dangerous, to- definitely <laughs> opens up a Pandora's box. Yeah,
0: yeah. And, and the I left started left looking. At-
1: using it than we are. So
0: <laughs> yeah, I, I, you know, I, I'm ashamed that I hadn't looked deeper into it. And uh, and then I started looking at the people that were for it and were pushing for it. And then I started looking at uh, like the implications of it. And I was like, whoa, I do not support this. This is, and, and, then- and I, I was thinking, I think I even said on the show, but like, you know, the Constitution still does some good. I mean, if it wasn't there, things would be a lot different. Oh, and yeah. uh, you hear, you know, pretty often, uh, well it, they, they couldn't do this because of the constitution or they had to overturn this law because it was unconst- unconstitutional. So it certainly plays a bigger part than most people you know would let on like.
1: For sure. I mean, I think that the attack right now is on the bill of rights more than the constitution per se, but and I think because the bill of rights is predicated on the notion that we were endowed inalienable rights mm-hmm. and that's kind of what they want to take away because they want to grant rights. And if they grant the rights, then they can take them away, right? They can rescind yes. what they grant. So I think, but because the, the bill of rights is predicated on that notion of inalienable rights, they have less power. It's not saying like, here's a list of things that we the government are granting you. It's a, it's saying these are, you were endowed, Mm -hmm. and that's problematic for their power.
0: (laughs) Absolutely. Yeah. It's, it's blows my mind, you know, that anyone would, uh, trust. I mean, to trust a politician, I mean, politicians have been crooked since the the invention of politicians. Yeah. I think that, uh, you used to, you could find a lot of old wise people who would tell you that. I don't know if that's the case anymore, but Uh, you know, to give a politician the ability to give you freedoms or take your freedoms away is just insane. And that's the one thing that makes our constitution different than other constitutions. And and we've had these people who've been against it since you know, basically since it was created, but especially in the last 120 years or so. And it's like, it's so obvious to me that um, they trust, they somehow trust the government more than they trust the constitution and
1: uh, kind of mind boggling. <laughs> it, it really is.
0: It, it's, it doesn't make any sense, but you know.
1: I don't even understand why it, it not, not just why would you trust a politician, but why would you defer your sovereignty and your autonomy to another person? Mm-hmm. I, I think this whole notion that other people should wield power over us is really, uh, it's really baffling. And it's, re- I think it's, I I do think it's a, it's a human nature problem, but, but I think that that's something when considering political structures and political power that people need to consider is why are we so quick to give up our personal autonomy to some uh, authoritarian figure Mm -hmm. to make decisions for us and to wield their power over us?
0: Yeah. It makes no sense whatsoever. And I think, A lot of people are scared to death to take on that responsibility, which doesn't make any sense. But if you're avoiding it and taking the chance of letting some hack charlatan politician be the controller of your destiny and your future, your freedoms. uh, Yeah, it's it's a sad state of affairs when we're surrounded by people who want to do that. Um, Yet they do. And yeah, yeah, what can you say about that?
1: Uh, yeah, it's, it's kind of a, yeah, it's just baffling.
0: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So what are you working on, uh, like in the coming weeks, you, you've got several things going on, uh, any yeah. certain subjects or anything that you're looking into?
1: Um, well, I have several podcasts coming up and, uh, yeah, I'm currently starting to dive into, like I was saying, I was talking about Tavistock, Talk. I'm starting to dive into kind of the history of mind control in general, uh, and psychological warfare and, uh, the history of social science, psychology. I'm working on a docu-series actually with a couple of other people, um, on MKUltra. So I've been researching that quite a bit. And, uh, yeah, I don't know. That's, uh, yeah, I'm always studying kind of the, uh, I was philosophy major. So that's kind of like a, uh, it's, you know, passion, hobby kind of thing of mine, and it's very relevant today, certainly, so.
0: Absolutely. Yeah, Yeah, that's one of my um, favorite subjects, and I did a, Mm -hmm. it's been quite a while, but I did a couple of shows on Tavistock, which at the time I thought they were the best shows I'd done, but I don't know if I go back and look. They might not be that great, but uh, I think I did one on propaganda. I I did one on, I actually looked at, I think it was my very, that was my second episode, but I'll send you the book because the information yeah. in the book—it's short, but you—I think you would really find it interesting. It's—it um, was a booklet written for the CIA during the '80s when they were basically arming the, the was it the Sandinista, the Sandinistas, and the Contras? That whole Iran Contra thing. Oh so yeah. So it was explaining exactly how they would go in and they would infiltrate groups. Mm-hmm. And they would take over the groups to basically take over the government. It was cognitive so in-
1: infiltration, right? Is that what it was? Cognitive infiltration.
0: That's basically what it was. I think it yeah. was actually called this. I want to say the psychological guerrilla warfare.
1: Oh yeah, okay.
0: Manual or something like that.
1: Okay, yeah, definitely send it to me. That would be really interesting. Yeah, it
0: just blew my mind because around the time I was reading it, it was about one of the uh, big. Riots, or whatever you want to call it, was going on. I think right. it was like BLM or one of those uh, Probably, who were kind yeah. of heading it up. And I'm like, and I just seen too. Um, there was that one video. I don't know if you've seen the uh, the video or not, but it, it was only shown on a, like online, I think. And I forget which riot it was, but this guy walks up. There's no no breaking windows, no f- burning anything. Nobody's been hurt mm-hmm. yet. And this one guy walks up in a, in a mask dressed in all black and starts, I think he's got a hammer or something, and he starts knocking windows out of stores. Do you remember hmm. that? I'm blanking on which one of the riots it was because we've seen quite a few. Anyway, uh-huh. and then somebody actually took a, a picture of I mean, it
1: sounds it. like all of the riots, so it's hard for me yeah, to say which one exactly. that is.
0: <laughs> but that stood out because a lot of people were saying that guy was – start trying to get violence going by being the first one to start doing those things.
1: And he just, he just kind of
0: walked away. He did not look like the rest of the people and it was so obvious that he didn't seem to be with anyone else and didn't seem to be scared that he just did that. Like he wasn't running away. So anyway, I just read that and that, that book. And when I saw that, I was like, you know what? I feel like, it just hit me this, the kind of stuff they've been doing overseas and, and, and in other countries, they've been doing to us and they're doing it now, especially I think by trying to infiltrate movements and, and control things and cause chaos. And
1: well, Most, uh, most wartime research gets then weaponized against the masses. I mean, that's one of the, biggest kind of wake up calls i've i've realized Mm -hmm. is that all these things that they tell us are in under the guise of defense are really uh their research that does get weaponized against the masses you know we say that when they put a d in front of it then it basically just an excuse to get a carte blanche like black ops budget to do whatever they want Mm -hmm. Yeah, like A good example would be there was ARPA and then it became DARPA, right? So once they put the defense in front of it, it now becomes covert and they have a covert black ops budget. They can uh-huh. do pretty much anything.
0: That's wild. I, di- I didn't know that about the budget. That's amazing. Uh, yeah. It's, it's, that's what I remember telling somebody when I first kind of started realizing that things weren't the way they we've been told, you know, and I was telling one of my old friends who I, we used to talk politics all the time, and I said, you know, all this stuff that's been going on during the war on terror and all these things that they've been doing overseas, or, I mean, in, in the Middle East, um, they plan on doing it here, or they are already doing yeah. it here on a certain level, you know, and he was trying to argue with me about, no, that's not true, you know, we got to get those, <laughs> th- we got to get those terrorists, and
1: well that's funny so when you talk about tavistock right tavistock was actually started as the british propaganda bureau that was literally what i mean it was the wellington house but it was known as the british propaganda bureau and they created it under the guise that germany had a propaganda bureau so of course they need to have a propaganda bureau and that's typically how it goes right the the enemy has this thing and so we need to start a whole department but it was that was literally what it was called, and it was all about uh, garnering, uh, creating propaganda to garner acquiescence for war. Mm. They were having trouble rallying people around engagement in the First World War, and of course, they oversaw Wilson, who yeah. ran on the campaign that he would not get us into war, and they oversaw his, his uh, uh, presidency and advised him how to. Get us into war, essentially, and get the peop the American people behind
0: it. Yeah, the war to end the war to end all wars, right? Wasn't that what the <laughs> first war was called? And yeah. uh, you also had like, was it George Creel, Edward Bernays, Walter Lippman? What was the organization they they were um, Committee on Public Information, if I remember correctly?
1: Okay,
0: and they came up with all these. They came up with these. Uh, I think there were seventy thousand of them. Or they were a ridiculous amount. But they were these men. I think they called them seven-minute men, and they would yeah. go out in any you know type of public setting and start talking about how America should join the war. And they would do this in you know theaters and restaurants, different things like that. And.
1: The war to end all wars. Right. So, and isn't that the mantra they've kind of continued throughout? Like, I mean, the neocons certainly bought it, right? That really war is going to end war. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's, it's an oxymoron that, that we even, that anybody bought into this, you know, Yeah, it's, it's war crazy. is what's going to create peace. We need, we need to go to war in order to create peace.
0: It's unbelievable. Wait, yeah. It's unbelievable <laughs> what people have fallen for. And I was, you know, guilty of that too for many years, like oh, trusting the war on terror. And, um, you know, and I, I look back at all the other wars too, and you can draw a line. You, you know, I'm sure you've realized this too. It's like once you start looking into a lot of this stuff, there's patterns that have happened all throughout yeah. history. And you can really. st- kind of start to recognize those patterns, and they might change little things about them, but they mm. are very similar. And so, yeah. you know, it's, It's just, it just keeps recycling basically.
1: And once you see it, it seems so clear, but yeah, I definitely fell for so many of the psyops and the, the narratives, narrative attacks. I definitely fell for a a whole bunch of them. I mean, at this point I'm embarrassed looking back, but (laughs) because once you see it, it seems so clear.
0: Yeah. And it's like, um, you know, I was all for the war on terror, thinking we had to be in all that. And I remember arguing mm. with people on the left about it because, like, they yeah. you know they were so adamant about how horrible, you know, George W. Bush and Cheney were and how bad the oh, yeah. war was. And, and they then, were. Yeah, and they, and they were right <laughs> they, in they hindsight. Were. But when they, when I started to change my mind about it, then Obama got elected, and all of a sudden, they had nothing bad to say about the wars anymore. And he was... Making even more wars, you know, and I, yep. I realized, oh, they didn't really care about the war. It was just a political thing. It was like a sports thing almost.
1: Totally, my team versus your team. Totally, and yeah.
0: And now we're at the point where the like I remember under Trump, the Democrats there was some big military bill, and he asked for this obscene amount. I think it was a record amount at the time, and the Democrats yeah. voted to give even more. And yep. so it's unbelievable where we're at now. With and of course with uh, Biden and. The bill that they just, you know, passed, and then um, of course all the Ukraine stuff, just totally insane. I, I think they're 100. giving half that money. I think they're putting it in uh, overseas bank accounts somewhere.
1: Oh, I think it's totally a money laundering scheme mm-hmm. for sure. I think that it, that's what it always is, though. Honestly, yeah, you look back throughout history. I mean, I think it's a kickback money laundering scheme. Yeah, I think so, just too. To the, I think it, it's it's a, it's a money laundering scheme set up by the oligarchs, but I think they they pay off the politicians through it.
0: Yeah, yeah, That's absolutely.
1: my guess. I mean, I can't prove that, but that's based on what I've read, and certainly when you look at uh, Anthony Sutton's work, it, it would definitely allude to that.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I'll let you go here in just a second, but I, just to mention <laughs> Anthony Sutton, I was telling my daughter about how I was like, just today, because we had this long car ride. I said, this, there was this author named Anthony C. Sutton, and he was just brilliant. Like, you don't even hear anything about him, except, you know, kind mm-hmm. of in conspiracy circles. But, you know, I was telling her about the uh, the trilogy with the Wall Street, and mm-hmm. then, uh, you know, the Bolshevik Revolution, the rise of mm-hmm. Hitler. And then I told her, I said, then he broke the uh, Skull and Bones Society that nobody really talked about, and then he... The and, Federal
1: Reserve Conspiracy? Federal he did that one, too?
0: And then uh, the the one he did with uh, Patrick, I'm forgetting his name, but the tech, technocracy guy, uh, Patrick. Patrick Wood. Patrick Wood. Uh, they I did had the him on our, the
1: show. He's awesome. Oh, very cool. Brilliant. Wonderful. Yeah. That's awesome.
0: Yeah, he's great. Um, they did the book on the Trilateral Commission right, in mm-hmm. the 70s, I think. And I'm like, this is amazing. that the, the, the great work this guy did to reveal to the public all these shady things that were going on. And he was basically shunned by all the mainstream media.
1: You know, the irony of it is he really was a mainline academic. Mm-hmm. I mean, that didn't go to like MIT or, I mean, he was an academic. He wasn't like some, you know, alternative conspiracy theory mm-hmm. guy.
0: Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And he was, I, I, you know, he talked, I've seen a couple of his interviews and he talked about how, you know, once you write a book that they don't want you to write, the publishers are done with you. Yeah. So it's also controlled.
1: Yeah. It's also, well, and that's what do we see all throughout COVID? That's, uh, you know, the scientists, right? They mm-hmm. trust the science. Only the scientists trust uh, 99% of the people who fund them. So
0: Exactly. And, you know, yeah. and um, not only that, but I think, um, like, th- we look up to scientists and doctors and nurses and people in the healthcare field, and it's, it's kind of like we almost put them on a pedestal, and they deserve that to a point because they, they really – go to school so long and try to, you know, Mm -hmm. to do those things and that should be admired. But at the same time, I think that we've taken for granted how they're not above falling into these kind of like, you know, this is my field and this is what's always been thought, almost like the Darwinism. Well, that's just the way it's been taught and we can't veer off that no matter what the evidence is.
1: Yeah, because they've been uh, so myopically seeped in a field, you know, I I think the compartmentalized is a part of a design. When you look at the military, you really see that everything is so compartmentalized so that you don't get a bird's eye view and you don't see how everything is interconnected because you're you're in your lane. And I, I think that's what happens with a lot of these uh, uh, academics and a lot of these uh, specialists in these various disciplines because they, they don't have any frame of reference outside of what they know. And they've been you know, they've been so entrenched in their, their lane for so long, but it's, it's really hard for them to see outside of that or to connect any dots that might be outside the box. So
0: absolutely. And they probably, uh, even the thought of thinking, oh my God, what if I've been lied to about some really important things they don't want to face that? Nobody does really. So no. except people like you and I, so
1: <laughs> right. Exactly. Yeah. Well, thank
0: you so much. This has been really awesome. And uh, like I said at the first of the show, thank you for having the patience. And I'm glad we got together. Uh, could my
1: you
0: uh, could you give your uh, information once once more so people can find? Yeah,
1: you? absolutely. So uh, my website is CourtneyTurner.com, and it's like Courtney C O U R T E N A Y Turner.com. Turner is T U R N E R. That one's easy and I am on, uh, pr- pretty much all the, uh, audio platforms. So I'm on Spotify, Apple, uh, Podbean, uh, megaphone, the, so I think 20 audio, uh, platforms. And then for the video, I am on Rockfin, uh, Rumble bit shoot odyssey and i just started a new youtube but i only have a few videos up on there and i can't post everything up there so not the best place to find me but i am on there and uh, i did start a new twitter because so i was kicked off there as well i'm kinetic courts on twitter and i'm kinetic courts on instagram as well so kinetic like to move uh courts c-o-u-r-t-z and um yeah on instagram and uh twitter, so.
0: Very cool. Yeah, I thought that because I was looking for you today, I was going to retweet that you're going to be on the show. And I was like, wait, I know I was friends with her, but I can't find her anywhere. And then I, I finally found somebody who had reposted with your new, uh, you know, your new name. So I was like, oh, there she is.
1: (laughs) Yeah, uh, Elon had not uh, restored my initial Courtney Turner. I've appealed now 10 times. I was kicked off for quote unquote COVID misinformation, although I was talking about polio, not even the same stratosphere, but they don't seem to care. And yeah, so my new one is kinetic courts, but yeah, I'm trying to build that one up so I can converse <laughs> in awesome. the quote unquote right. public square. Yeah. Right.
0: Well, awesome. Thank you so much for being on and I'll put all your show notes. I mean, all your uh, links in my show notes that mm-hmm. way everybody red can find you and uh, hopefully we'll talk again soon.
1: Yeah, I would love that. And I can bring you on my show. So, yeah,
0: definitely. Yeah. I'd be happy to, especially <laughs> anything uh, having to do with psycho- psychological warfare, propaganda. I love that stuff. So,
1: Me too. All right, awesome. Well, then we'll do it. So, thank you so much for having me. Oh, you're awesome. very welcome.
0: All right, guys, that wraps up another edition of the Oddcast featuring me, your odd man out. And I want to thank my guest once again, Courtney Turner, and her links will be in the show notes. Be sure and check out all her content. She's fantastic. I want to thank my patrons first and foremost. Thank you all for sticking with me, and I apologize for taking a little bit of time getting anything new out this year, but I promise a ton of stuff is on the way. I have been researching every chance I get, learning so much. I'm tying up some loose ends, making some more connections that I think you guys will be interested in, and I think we'll have a great year as far as learning new things, covering new topics. Maybe revisiting some older topics that I've learned more about. Always trying to learn more and put the bigger pieces together. So I think that this will be a great year as far as that goes. I want to thank my patrons. I want to thank Cole, Ashley, that crazy bread man. Thank you for being a covert co-conspirator, crazy bread man. Thank you, Aaron. Thank you, Ruckus from the Daily Ruckus. Thank you for being a producer of the show. Thank you, No Evil Shall Fear. Thank you, Jay. Thank you, Chris. Thank you, Mark from Housatonic Live. Get on over there and check out Mark's content on YouTube. He does a fantastic job. I want to thank Bill for being a producer of the show. Thank you, Peterson. Thank you, Rooster. Thank you, John Brisson. Get over and check out We've Read the Documents on Rumble and Subscribe Star. Thank you, Kilowatt. Thank you, Sir Tim of the Tunnels. Thank you, Aaron. Thank you, David. And last but not least, thank you, Jack Allen from Conspiracy or Just a Coincidence. Check out all of Jack's content on YouTube and on all your fine podcasting platforms. Next, I want to thank my podcasting family at Alternate Current Radio. Get on over there at AlternateCurrentRadio.com and check out all their awesome music and talk shows, especially The Daily Ruckus and their flagship, The Boiler Room. I also want to thank... The Fringe Radio Network for posting my shows up there as well. And if any of you guys want to tell other people about the show, I really appreciate it. Give me a good rating on whatever platform you listen to this on. Share the show on social media. That always helps as well. And if you'd like to become a member, I've got three tiers on my Patreon. That is patreon.com slash theoddmanout. I really appreciate it. I've got some extra stuff. For the first tier, the Society of Cryptic Savants, I do something called Terrible Tweets, and I'm about to do another one this week, actually. I just go over random tweets and talk about them a little bit, and I make a show out of it, because I usually find interesting stuff to go over. Also, I have for the upper two tiers, I have the Odd Book Club, which is where I go over a rare book, talk about it, maybe read some content from it, and... We'll just kind of see what it means to us and see if we can make any connections to the past, the present, or even the future. And we usually can. And so we're finishing up The Occult Technology of Power by just talking about what we read in it, what it meant to us, and a few comments from other people on the book. So next, I'm looking at either doing The Prince by Machiavelli or possibly The New Atlantis by Francis Bacon. Both of those books are highly influential, and I think that we could learn a lot from going back over them. A lot of people know little bits and pieces about some of these books, but they've never really read them or only read an excerpt here or there, and I think that we could learn a lot from actually looking at the entire content. So if you're interested in that kind of thing, pop on over there and become a member of one of the upper tiers. As always, I appreciate you listening. I look forward to bringing you new content very soon. Cheers and blessings. And remember, their order is not our order. See you guys.